You're listening to the Grow Your Own Food Podcast, a show dedicated to helping you grow fresh fruit, vegetables, and even grains in your own backyard. In every episode, you'll get growing tips, recipe inspiration, and more. Ready to get growing? Then let's jump in. Hey friends, welcome to episode 59 of the Grow Your Own Food podcast. I'm your host, Shauna Smith, and today I am going to be giving you an introduction to canning. We are going to be talking specifically about water bath canning because I feel like it's the least intimidating and most easily accessible method of canning, especially if you don't have like a whole bunch of supplies and things like that. There's not a whole lot of things that you have to go out and buy other than the jars for it. Also, if you're like me and you're a little bit freaked out and scared of the idea of pressure canning, and I'll talk about that in a little bit, this is also, you know, kind of just a more accessible way to kind of dip your toe into the waters as far as canning goes. So we're going to be talking all about it today, how to do it, what you need for it. But first, a word from today's sponsor. So I had no idea how to can foods until I started gardening. It's not like I grew up doing it. And to be honest, at first, the idea kind of scared me. I have a very vivid imagination, and I had this mental image of a pressure cooker exploding all over the kitchen, splattering everything with sticky sweet vinegar brine and, and shards of glass everywhere. Yeah, that that detailed. But then I learned that there are actually two types of canning. There's pressure canning, which you, you know, you need a pressure canner for, and then there's water bath canning. Water bath canning is a perfect way to start canning because it doesn't require heavy equipment. It's really, really easy, and it doesn't require the use of a pressurized chamber of doom, which is still honestly how I feel about it. My mom got me an Instapot for this past Christmas, and it it took me um, months and a few dry runs, honestly, to make me comfortable with using it. So we're going to go over kind of the ins and outs of water bath canning, a few cautions, some resources. And as always, if you need to revisit any of this information, I have the link to the sister post for this podcast episode in the show notes for this episode. So let's start off by talking about acceptable foods for water bath canning, because not everything can be canned using the boiling water bath method. You can can, boy, that's going to get tough to say in this episode. Um, You can can tomatoes. You can can fruits. You can water bath can anything pickled. And then you can can jams, jellies, and other preserves. So the reason why you can can these things is because the amount of acid in these foods makes them okay to can using a water bath. Because bacteria can't grow in acidic environments. So sort of the very nature of these foods and then the things that we 
add to them, to the recipes, keep them sterile. The, the acidity makes it impossible for bacteria to grow on them or in them. Because a boiling water bath is not used for the purpose of sterilization. It's used to create the vacuum needed to properly seal the canning jar. Pressure canning, on the other hand, uses an immense amount of heat and, you guessed it, pressure to kill bacteria or create a, a vacuum, sort of a sterile vacuum that bacteria cannot grow in. So pressure canning is used to uh, can things like meat and vegetables like green beans, black beans, potatoes, and corn. Never, ever, ever try to can these things using a water bath. Like I said, vegetables and meats, potatoes, you can end up with some really, really dangerous bacteria, including botulism, which is which can be fatal. So let's not ever do that. Now, all that said, even though tomatoes, fruits, and pickles are appropriate for water bath canning, it's really, really important that you only ever use tested recipes, that you don't go making up your own recipes. Tested recipes are ones that have been proven to have enough acidity that they are safe for storing long-term. They're safe for using water bath canning because acidity can vary from one variety of tomato to another. Sometimes it can even vary from one tomato to another on the same off of the same plant. Uh, according to the Better Homes and Gardens Complete Canning Guide, which is one of the cookbooks I have, tomatoes that are bruised or cracked, tomatoes that ripen off the vine or are grown out of direct sunlight, are lower in acidity than tomatoes ripened on the vine in the sun. So tested recipes always add acidity where there's a borderline acidity vegetable like tomatoes involved. And that acidity can come in the form of lemon juice. It can come in the form of citric acid, which is a product from corn. It's not actually a citrus product. So if you have a citrus allergy, typically it's okay for you to use citric acid in your canning. Um, just a little tip there. Uh, acidity can also be added by using vinegar, so pickles, that's another example, or a combination of those three different sort of sources of additional acid that you can add to a recipe. So always, always, always use a tested recipe when you are using water bath canning. So let's talk about the pieces and parts of a canning jar, because there are three kind of distinct components. You have the jar, obviously, pretty self-explanatory. They come in lots of sizes, but more importantly, they come in two varieties, and this can be kind of confusing at first. They come in regular mouth, um, which is smaller, and then they come in wide mouth, which is not quite the same diameter as, as the jar itself, but pretty close. Wide mouth jars are best for storing whole fruits and pickles, pickled vegetables, the kinds of things that you would reach your fingers in um, to get. And then regular mouth jars work great for anything else. So condiments, sauces, anything you'd, you'd go after with a spoon, basically. And, you know, which kind of jar you use, whether it's regular mouth or wide mouth is really kind of up to you. I actually even sometimes like to use regular mouth jars for pickles um, because the shoulders of the jar make it easier for me to kind of like pack the pickles down in there. Of course, I can't reach my fingers in there as easily. I have to go after the pickles with a fork, but it's kind of 
it's okay to sort of use your own preference for which kind of jar you use. Jars can be reused infinitely as long as they are not cracked or chipped, and they should always be sterilized before each round of canning. The next part of the jar, of the canning jar, we, I want to talk about is the screw band. So the screw bands keep the lids in place. They're not actually the lid. We're going to talk about the lids here in a second. Um, the screw bands is just kind of like that threaded circle, separate part of the lid that you kind of screw down to keep the lid in place. Once canning is complete, if the lid is properly sealed, technically the screw bands aren't needed and, and you can take them off. And I know some people who, who do store their canned produce, you know, without the screw band on there. If they're in good shape and they're not warped or dented, screw bands can also be used, reused indefinitely. And finally, the lid. So the lid is just kind of like a disc of metal that goes on the mouth of the jar. And if you look closely at the underside of it, you'll see the underside has an orange rubber seal around the outer edge that's called a gasket. And this is what forms the vacuum seal on the jar. It's super important to know that once this rubbery material has been boiled and cooled, kind of processed in a water bath, it cannot make the same quality seal again. So do not reuse lids. You can reuse the jars, you can reuse the screw bands, but do not reuse the lids. You'll need to buy new lids every time. They're sold in separate little boxes at your local hardware store, or you can buy them on Amazon. And they're sold in wide mouth or regular mouth sizes, just like the jars. So keep that in mind. Don't buy the wrong size lids. If you have wide mouth jars, you need to buy wide mouth lids. I do save some used lids for things that I store in jars, but I don't need to be vacuum sealed. Things like pasta or rice. But I always make sure to write used on the top of the lid with a Sharpie. And then I keep them in a special container so that they don't get mixed up with my new lids. So those are really only... The only things you need, right, is is the jars. Technically, you can water bath can with just the jars. And as long as you have a deep enough pot um, and a good set of tongs, you can pretty much can with just that. But canning is made a little bit easier with some specialty tools. I resisted buying specialty tools for canning for a couple of years until I knew that it was a thing that I was going to really get into and really do every year. The nice thing is they're not that expensive. So the first thing that I would recommend would be a canning pot with a rack. It should be big enough, like I said, to hold enough water so that the jars that you are using can be completely submerged in water, plus at least an inch or more. So don't go using like your Dutch oven that you have at home. That's not going to be tall enough, you know, to cover those, like especially a quart canning jar. It's probably not even going to be tall enough to cover like a pint jar. Um, you might have a stock pot if you have a big stock pot that you use to make like say chicken broth or something like that in all the time. A stock pot will work and when I was just starting out I used a stock pot for processing my, my water bath canning. 
Um, but you don't have to spend a fortune on a canning pot and a rack. So the rack is the thing with handles that you put your jar in and you can lift it up and you can set it down into the canning pot, into the boiling water. Um, and then when it's done, you can like lift it out by those same handles. Just makes life a little bit easier. It doesn't have to cost a lot though. And it's, that's good because all you're doing is boiling water in it for crying out loud. I have a link to the canning pot that I have these days. And like I said, it's really not that expensive. I think it was around $25 or $30. And I really am, now that I finally do have a canning rack, it just makes lowering and lifting the jars out so much simpler. And I'm, I'm really glad that I have it. There are also kits available that I have, I do have a link to a kit as well in the sister post for this episode that have everything you need in them. So they have the canning pot in the rack, and then they also have the things that I'm going to be talking about coming up next. So the next thing that you would need is a canning funnel. This just sort of, again, not absolutely necessary, but it just makes things less messy. So when we are making pickles or we're making sauces or jams or jellies, you know, we're typically cooking those in a big pot and then we have to spoon them or ladle them into the canning jars. Um, And a funnel just makes that less messy, makes it easier, um, and then also makes our job of making sure that the rim of the jar, which I'm gonna talk about here in a second, is totally clean before we put the lid on it. The other thing I really, like again, I resisted getting, but I'm really glad I did, is a jar lifter. So a jar lifter is kind of like uh, an oversized pair of tongs, but on the pincher part of the tongs, it has these two sort of rubber rollers on it that really help you sort of grab onto the neck of the jar as you are lifting it. If for say some reason you don't have a canning rack, this jar lifter is going to be really handy. I used a um, a regular, <laughs> I laugh at myself now because this could have gone so wrong in so many ways. I used a regular pair of tongs for the longest time um, to lift jars out of the water when I didn't have a canning rack. And I, I think I about had a panic attack Uh, on several occasions, just like almost dropping the jar. Um, And a few times I think I did drop the jar from like an inch or two off the countertop and it didn't break or anything like that. But yeah, it was, (laughs) it was definitely dangerous. I don't recommend it. Um, So again, I have links to all those things on the sister post for this episode. Let's talk about cookbooks really quick, because like I said, you're going to want to make sure that you're always using a tested recipe. And I do mean always. If your homemade pasta sauce with the recipe that you made up does not have enough acid in it, you could end up growing botulism in it while it sits on the shelf. And while a lot of bacteria can be readily seen in like as gross as it is, is smelled, not all of it can. And, and it can lead to really serious illness and sometimes death. So Please don't let this stop you from trying your hand at canning because there are a lot of great recipe books out there. Um, a few of my favorites include the Ball, as in the Ball canning jars, the Ball Complete Book of Home Preserving. Again, as I mentioned previously, I have the Better Homes and Gardens Complete Canning Guide and I really like it. 
And then this past Christmas, um, I received as a gift the book Food in Jars, Preserving in Small Batches Year-Round. This one is really handy because a lot of the recipes in the ball canning books and the Better Homes and Gardens canning books are for big, huge batches of pickles or tomato sauce. And not all of us have that, right? Some of us just have a few plants. So this Food in Jars book that's about preserving small batches is, is really nice because it makes it accessible to the container gardener or the person who has, you know, just kind of a small garden with a few tomato plants, that kind of thing. And if you don't have a budget for a bunch of canning recipe books, which like who does these days with so many people unemployed and everything like that because of the pandemic, please, please, please check your local library. That is seriously where I go first before I decide to buy any recipe or gardening book. I go, I check it out from the library, and then if I really like it, I find myself like having to renew it multiple times because I'm I'm seriously reading every single page, then I will go and buy it. Um, and by the way, those are the books that I end up recommending on here or on my website. You know, these are books that I have and I, I have checked out from the library first and I thought that they were good enough to buy you know, please do that first if you're trying to save money. Or you can check out the Ball Canning website. They have a ton of free recipes on there. There are some people out there that think using untested recipes is not a big deal. But honestly, if you end up joining a canning community on social media, and there are a lot, you will get booted out of there right quick for even suggesting using an untested recipe. Because you know what? It's really important to just make sure everybody is safe and stays safe when it comes to the food that they can. So let's talk about the process of canning. The first thing right from the get-go that you want to do is sterilize your jars. And you don't have to sterilize the screw bands because those are not coming in, in contact with the food that you're canning. You just have to sterilize the jars. It doesn't matter whether you're making pickles, spaghetti sauce, salsa, something completely different. You should always start with sterilized jars. I run mine through the dishwasher on the sterilized cycle. Even if I wash them and I put them in the cabinet, you know, I, I could have done that like six months ago and dust and, and who knows what could have settled in there. Um, in the meantime. So I run them through the sterilized cycle really quick and I go straight from the dishwasher to the countertop for canning. The second thing you want to do is, you know, while you are making your jam or your pickles, whatever recipe it is, start your water boiling then because you are boiling a lot of water and it can take a long time for that water to boil, that much water. Um, I put the lid on the pot, on the canning pot. It brings the water to a boil much faster. Also starting with hot water from the tap rather than cold water, it, it saves a lot of time. In the interest of talking about waste reduction, if you're wondering whether you can use a pot of water more than once for canning, technically Yes, you can. I used to because I felt like it was wasteful not to. But these days, I don't advise it. I don't advise using the same pot of water more than once. The contents of your jars can seep out, um, even in minuscule, you know, unnoticeable amounts. And it causes problems with the seals on future batches. And, and it can even make things taste weird. If you're worried about waste and wasting water, you can totally let the water cool 
and then use it to water your garden. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, if you're doing something that's really acidic, like pickles or something like that, though, and you're worried about vinegar um, in in the water itself, um, you can use that too. Don't let that water cool and pour it on weeds in the driveway and it'll kill the weeds in the cracks of your driveway. So there's always a different way to, you know, use that canning water without wasting it and kind of just pouring it down the drain. The third step would be place your lids in the hottest water from your tap. Like I said, each lid has a rubber gasket on the bottom and you want to soften that gasket, that seal, so that when you put them on the jars, they're ready to adhere. By putting the lids in hot water, you sort of help pre-soften up the rubber seal ahead of time. Some people say to put their lids in boiling water, but I have found that running a tap to the hottest it'll go and putting the lids in that water works just fine. Plus, it's not so hot that if you end up not using the lid, like say you miscalculated the number of jars you'd fill and you, you know, you took out six jars and you put six lids in hot water, um, but you only ended up needing five jars. Um, that lid ends up not being unusable because you heated it to the boiling point. Um, you don't end up warping the seal. It's just been softened a little bit. I've, I have thrown lids in hot water to kind of just get them starting on being softened um, and then they cool down and they make a totally perfect seal later. Fourth step would be to fill your jars. Um, ideally you're using a funnel um, but you know what you can do it without a funnel too. No big deal. Fill your jars almost to the top. You always 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 want to leave about half an inch of headspace. Eventually you'll be able to eyeball it, but if you need to get out the old measuring tape or the ruler and kind of check and look and see what half an inch of space is, by all means, go ahead and do that. But you always need that little bit of space left over in order to create that vacuum seal. You'll gently want to knock the bottom of the jar on the countertop to help the contents settle and force any air bubbles to the top. You can also stir the contents to gently remove bubbles. I actually prefer um, stirring because I've gotten a little over energetic about knocking bubbles out and have accidentally cracked the bottom of a jar thumping it on the counter to remove bubbles. <laughs> so yikes. That can, that can happen, especially, you know, when we, when we put hot liquids in glass and we change the temperature of the glass really fast and then you knock it against the countertop. Um, doesn't happen a ton of times, but it's happened to me, so I use a spoon now. Next thing we want to do is wipe the rim clean. So using a paper towel or a damp clean, like not sort of clean, but 100% unused since you last washed it clean, hand towel, um, kitchen towel, wipe off the rim of each jar. So like I get, I, I do this with a damp towel first because sometimes like stuff on the rim of the jar can get kind of sticky if it has sugar, if it's a jam or jelly or even like a sweet pickle juice. So I use a damp towel first and then I use a dry towel to wipe the rim dry. And this way the lid can make clean solid contact all the way around. That's the key to making sure that the lid makes a good seal on the mouth of your jar. And then once you have the rim clean, you'll grab a brand new unused lid and place it firmly on top. The last thing we'll do before we 
you know, put the jars in the water is take the screw band and thread it onto the jar. But we're not going to like He-Man or She-Ra that, that screw band as tight as it'll go. We're only going to screw it on as like just until we start to feel resistance. And this is really important. You want the screw band tight enough to hold the lid on when you put the jar in the boiling water, but you want it loose enough so that the air bubbles left in the jar, the air that's left in the jar can escape and create that vacuum during the water bath. So once we have the lids on, once we have the screw bands on, you put the jars in the canning rack and it's okay if they touch each other. Mine do all the time and it hasn't mattered a bit. They do sometimes jostle around in there and knock around a bit, you know, because of the boiling water and whatnot, but they're not going to do that so violently, at least not in my experience, that it's going to cause anything to crack or break. I will say, do not put your jars in the water until the water is boiling. Most water bath canning, you know, recipes only require that you process for 10 minutes, but always check your recipe. Sometimes it'll tell you to process longer than that. Um, again, why you should use a tested recipe, but if you put your jars in the water and the water's not boiling yet, one, it's not going to form a like a, it might not form a good seal, you know, if you start that timer before the water has truly started, you know, a rolling boil. Two, if you put your jars in there and you wait to start the timer until the water reaches a, a full rolling boil, you might kind of like overcook the things that are in the jar. And that really matters for things like pickles. Um, when they're over-processed, they lose that nice crunch and they get kind of soft and kind of gross. So make sure that you wait until the water has reached a full rolling boil before you put those canning jars in there and start the timer. Once you put the canning jars in there, you're going to see bubbles, and that's okay. That's good. Those are the air bubbles that I talked about. That's the extra air, that headspace, you know, that it's coming out from under the screw band, from under the lid. So don't panic when you see that. You want that to happen. It means that that vacuum, that vacuum process is happening. Once the 10 minutes is up, or however much time is specified by the canning recipe you're using. You're gonna carefully pull the canning rack out of the pot and set it on the counter. Sometimes, you know, that canning rack is made out of aluminum and aluminum is a very poor conductor of heat, but it has still been sitting in boiling hot water and above steam, so those handles still might be hot. So I am always safe and I put on a pair of oven mitts or I use a towel in each hand and I pull that canning rack out of the canning pot, you know, using something to protect my hands. Once you pull the canning rack with the jars in and out, in a few minutes, sometimes even as little as 30 seconds or less, you should start hearing popping noises. And the first time I canned anything and I didn't know anything about the canning process, I panicked. I thought that my jars were like cracking and about to explode, but that's not the jars cracking. The popping noise is coming from the lid completing the vacuum seal on the jar. So We've, we've put the lid, which is made of metal, right, on this jar, and we've exposed it to boiling hot water. When we take it out of the water, 
the the cooling happens so fast that the lid just kind of sucks onto the jar and it creates that vacuum seal. And the pop is from that little button on the top of the metal lid getting sucked down. So you know how sometimes you'll buy like a jar of olives or something like that at the grocery store and it says like do not use if seal is broken or if if that button on top is raised. Um, That's what that indicates is that there's still a fresh seal on the jar. Once that button pops up, that seal is broken. So you wanna make sure that you count as you hear the pops to make sure that all of them are sealed. So if you put in six quart jars, you should hear six pops. And you can also do a visual check. And sometimes if you're really bored standing in the kitchen, you can even sit and watch the button slowly get flatter and flatter until it pops. I've done that because I'm a nerd. But resist the urge to touch it. It's really hot. If you're canning for the very first time, and you can't quite trust the popping, and it's okay because botulism is a real thing, you can test the seal another way. Once the jar has cooled for about 30 minutes, you can sort of double check the seal by taking the screw band off and picking up the jar kind of with your fingernails almost by the lid. And it should hold firm. You should actually be able to pick up that pint jar, you know, whatever's in there, and, and the lid should like stay on there. This is safe with pint jars, but if you're using quart jars, I would either say be very careful and only lift it up off the countertop like a half an inch or just don't do it because they are a lot heavier and the weight of the jar of the full jar could break the seal or your fingernails, either way. What if the lid doesn't pop? This happens. Any lid that hasn't popped after 30 minutes probably is not going to, probably much sooner than that, honestly. If this happens, you have two options. You can take the old lid off, wipe off the rim of the jar, put a new lid on, and try again for another 10 minutes, process it again in boiling water for another 10 minutes, or you can let the jar cool and then throw it in the refrigerator and eat the contents over the next, you know, week or or two weeks, however long it takes you to eat them. As long as it's refrigerated, it should be mostly okay, just like anything else that you would throw in the fridge, like jams or jellies. I've done both. Honestly, there's no shame in either. It, it happens. Sometimes it has nothing to do with user error. I mean, sometimes it does, but sometimes it's a bad batch of, you know, faulty lids, and, and that's not your fault. Unfortunately, there's no way to know from looking at the lids. You kind of know once you have a whole bunch of seals that fail. It really sucks, but you know what? You can always try again. And that's it. Like I said, water bath canning is simple. It's very approachable for the new gardener, for, you know, the new canner. You just have to make sure you follow these rules. Always use a tested recipe. Always use clean jars. Always wipe the jar rim clean. Always use new lids. Always tighten the band just enough. Always wait for the water to boil before adding the jars. And always make sure the lid pops. Once you get those things down, you can have a husband who exclaims, like Mr. B does, at all the ridiculous number of canning jars in your home. By the way, you can never have enough. Never, never, never have enough canning jars. In other words, you will be canning all the things all the time. Um, And it's a really nice feeling. It's a nice feeling having all these, you know, all the can jars, quote unquote, put up in your pantry and stored for for the dead of winter. You can have this 
fresh, bright tomato sauce that tastes like summer um, off your pantry shelf when it's January. It's a wonderful thing. So I definitely recommend giving it a try. Don't let it scare you. It really is as easy as I just outlined. Again, though, I know I just went through a bunch of information. So if you need details, if you need pictures, if you need reminders, if you need links to products, um, please make sure that you click on the link in the show notes to the sister post for this episode. But other than that, happy canning, you guys. That is it for today. I wanted to give a quick shout out to a listener who left a review recently for the podcast who said that they they listen to the podcast out in the garden and that they, you know, they kind of already know some of the basic stuff, a lot of the basic stuff that's in the podcast. But, you know, with each episode, they learn at least one or sometimes a lot of new things. Um, and I really appreciate that. It's it's really nice. I gear this this podcast and my blog toward beginning gardeners, people who are kind of starting from zero. But it makes me really happy to know that, you know, people who have been gardening for years, who've been gardening, you know, they started gardening with their grandma or their mom. Even even you guys are learning stuff from the podcast or from the blog. Makes my heart happy to hear that. So thank you, thank you, thank you for um, leaving that little detail and for leaving that review. If you haven't reviewed the podcast yet and you have a second, please take a moment and go and do that. It just helps other people find the podcast, helps them know that it's worth listening to, as I've said before. So in the next episode, I am going to be talking about uses for tea tree oil in the garden. When it comes to tea tree oil, I am like the dad in my big fat Greek wedding who thinks that Windex fixes everything. You can ask Mr. B. I'm always like, put a little tea tree oil on it. Why don't you try tea tree oil? His eyeballs are so tired from rolling whenever I suggest tea tree oil for something. But it works for a lot of stuff. And I'm going to be talking about that in the next episode. Until then, Thank you so much for listening as always. And I will talk to you guys then. Thanks for listening to the Grow Your Own Food podcast. Visit beeandbasil.com for helpful how-to articles, images, and recipes.